Hi everyone, this is Devin from Fluvio and you're listening to Embracing Erosion, the podcast that lets you inside the heads of product marketers, investors, and go-to-market leaders who tackle changes head-on and turn them into competitive advantages. Navigating the world of product marketing is tough. At Fluvio, we get it, probably more than anyone else. We see you wrestling with resources, proving your team's worth, and juggling changing responsibilities all the time. But imagine a world where you could confidently and systematically tackle your product marketing challenges. That's where our go-to-market model comes in. The Fluvio go-to-market model guides each one of our engagements with the likes of Stack Overflow, LinkedIn, NASDAQ, and many more, and provides companies with a path to clarity and success. And now, we're thrilled to package up that model and deploy it within our new product, the Fluvio Go-To-Market Assessment. The Go-To-Market Assessment delivers transformative insights to gauge your team's performance, identify key investment areas, and sets up benchmarks for success. If you are a product or marketing leader, get started today with our proprietary Go-To-Market Assessment and receive a customized evaluation and actionable insights within one week. Just go to fluviomarketing.com slash GTM assessment today. On this episode of Embracing Erosion, I was excited to have on two friends of the podcast, Derek Osgood and Jason Oakley. For those of you not familiar with these folks, Derek is a former marketing exec turned founder. He's building Ignition, the collaborative go-to-market platform, helping product and marketing teams get new products to market faster and more effectively. Prior to founding Ignition, he was an early hire at Rippling, where he stood up the product marketing function and helped scale the company to over $20 million in ARR. Jason Oakley is a product marketing coach, consultant, and creator with over 10 years of experience building product marketing functions from scratch. He's built product marketing teams at three different companies, Clue, Chili Piper, and Uberflip, each time starting as a founding PMM. He recently founded Productive PMM and is on a mission to help founding product marketers and early stage product marketing teams scale faster, focus on the right work, and drive real impact within their organization. This was the first episode in which I brought on two guests and I really enjoyed it. I'd love your feedback as well, so please give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this format. So looking into 2024, we chatted about predictions such as the continued convergence of product management and product marketing roles, B2B influencers now securing media budgets, AI creating a wider gap between average and great product marketers, an emphasis on retention and upsells in 2024, and a whole lot more. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, Jason, Derek, you've been on here before. I'm excited to get you on here together. This is going to be the first episode that we got more than just two of us on here. I'm excited to have you join us to chat about predictions and trends for 2024. So thanks for for joining me. Yeah, yeah. excited to excited to be on here with you guys. It's a uh, meeting meeting of the minds here. <laughs> Yeah, when you reached out about trends, I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I think I can talk about trends. You know, I'd be remiss not to mention, actually, that Jason, of the three of us, you're the only one this year that's listed as a product marketing influencer. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. I do think Derek and I were snubbed, frankly, but uh, congratulations. I would, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, well, thanks. Appreciate it. 
Um, but I think in my mind, you you guys both are at the top of my list. So, well, thank you. Oh, thank yeah. you. Just have to tag Rich in the Rich in the post on this. And... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump right into it. Format. Um, we're gonna kind of free wheel it here. We've written down a handful of predictions and trends that we think are sort of already in motion, at least in mine. So we'll start with um, with mine. I'll jump right in. We'll get some reactions, whether or not the group agrees, disagrees, and we'll just keep moving things forward. So the first one that I have is that I think that we're going to see AI create a larger gap between average and great product marketers. And I'm not sure if this is going to be the case for every role, but for product marketing, I do think it's actually going to create a larger gap. And I think this is counterintuitive. And a lot of people think that AI tools, ChatGPT, Ignition, everything that's coming to market is actually going to help bottom performers kind of level themselves up. Uh, I think it's the inverse of that. I think really great product marketers are going to find ways to take advantage of the new tooling. And it's going to create greater separation between those folks. I agree. I mean, I think like, you know, any good tool, it's like tools act as amplifiers, right? And so, you know, I think it takes existing skills and makes you better. And I think like, I, I see a lot of people come in to using AI tools and they have kind of unrealistic expectations for how well it can, you know, do anything based off of like relatively limited inputs. And I think if you think about like what makes AI work well, it's actually very much tied to like briefing behavior. You know, it's like the you know, great product marketers are great at briefing other teams and great at briefing creatives and great at briefing whoever they're trying to get information in the hands of. And I think it's the same exact process for briefing AI. And that ends up like playing out in the outputs that you get, you know, the really, really great product marketers who are really, really good at briefing, they end up getting better outputs because their inputs are better. So I like, I, I definitely agree. Yeah. 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 I was thinking about it a bit, as you're saying that and just thinking like, as a, I find like people who might be a junior product marketer, when it comes to things like trying to think through like messaging and positioning and, you know, the creation of like, I don't know, concepts and ideas and content. Like, I think that people think AI, I haven't seen AI that does an awesome job of that. And I think that like some people think AI and they think I'm going to be able to put basically get it to do my job for me when it comes to like creating things. And I think that that's where I think some of like the junior product marketers are like, great, I can now use this to help me write messaging, or I can now use this to help me like, I don't know, create a, a blog post or some type of piece of launch collateral or something like that. And I think that where, like you said before, if you're a great product marketer, like, you know how to do those things. You're great with messaging. Like you have an eye for writing like compelling copy and things like that. But you can use AI to help you like aggregate a lot of information and pull insights from it that might've just taken you a really long time to do before. And I think it's like, yeah. that's where I think the really good product marketers, the ones who already understand good product marketing can then use AI to be like, I'm just going to move a lot faster. Yeah, know, that, that's kind of like- Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. Yeah, it's an extension of yourself and the really great product marketers are going to be able to just accelerate their output. Um, so I'm surprised we all agree on this. I thought some of you <laughs> would push back and say low performers are going to be lifted up and maybe meet in the middle, but uh, I guess we're all on the same page. So I, I do think it's going to lift up the low performers, but it's also just going to, like you, like you said, it's still going to stratify the you know high mm -hmm. performers are going to just be better and better. Yeah. 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 
All right, on to you, Derek. Uh, yeah, so I mean, my my first prediction is you know similarly related to AI, but it's actually kind of like dovetailing off of that. I, I think that the, this year you're going to see a big whiplash against AI from the people who have been kind of like tinkering with it over the last year. I think we I, I've seen this play out. You know, like selfishly, I would say that Ignition probably like does you know kind of the best job that I've seen of you know being able to spit out things like messaging and launch assets, um, but. I think, you know, in sales conversations that I have on a daily basis, like I definitely feel like people come into the AI conversation with unrealistic expectations, like Jason was saying, you know, around what AI is actually going to be able to do for them. And they're also not really thinking about a lot of the deeper implications of how AI like fits into their actual day-to-day job. And so a lot of people are like buying tools that they don't have very scalable pricing models or very scalable use cases where, you know, like, for example, if you're using tools for like insights analysis, they're not able to analyze unlimited insights without incurring really, really significant cost because those tools have been built on models that don't support that and they're incredibly usage intensive. Or you're having teams that like don't really think about like how challenging it is to integrate AI into actual workflow day to day. And so, you know, like, ChatGPT is great, but ChatGPT, you forget that it's even there many many times. And often, if you're not really good at like reimagining your workflow, that tool ends up kind of just languishing over by the side. So you know, teams aren't really thinking about like how that stuff actually fits into the flow of work that they're doing daily. So I think you're going to see a lot of teams that like got really over their out over their skis and excited about like what AI was going to do for them. And they're going to start kind of seeing a little bit of backlash around it. And, you know, they're going to start complaining about quality scalability and you're going to see people kind of like fall somewhere in the middle as opposed to like leaning a hundred percent into AI and into, you know, much more of kind of a combination of their own thinking. And that's interesting. Yeah. I think like of the, you, the way I use AI and things like that, like there's so many, every tool now has some form of AI and I do feel like there's part of me that feels like I need to be using AI in all these tools because it exists, but it's just so, it's kind of overwhelming where you're like, I don't even know where to start with all these things. It feels like a bit of a chore to get in and because you feel like you should be using it, but like at the same time, you don't really know how it's going to make your life any better in that tool. So you're kind of just avoiding even getting started. But I find the the things that, the use cases or like the AI that I've started to use are when they make it really easy and a very simple and like clear use case for it that I'm like, oh yeah, that makes my life better. It could be something very simple that saves me like 10 minutes in doing something, but I'm like, oh, that's that's great. Like I use Canva and Canva has all these little neat AI features, but it's not saying we have this like AI component that you have to like use and learn all these different complex things. But yes. All that, that's just my long-winded way of saying, like, I definitely agree with you. I think for me, coming into this year, there's, you know, even not even being within, within like, a large company, like, I'm just, like, I don't know, there's a bit of, bit of just, like, AI fatigue. I, I think I agree. I think um, I don't, I, I think there's probably going to be whiplash around, like, trying to buy net new tools that are AI tools, if you will. But I do think everyone's going to be expecting AI to be incorporated in some capacity, you know, at the feature level in their existing tool set. I think that's where people are going to find the most value and use case. I actually don't know, like, do you, do you guys think there's going to be this new like AI budget that's separated out from all these other 
line items that already exist today? Or is it just going to be, is that one of the things that you're evaluating tools on? Like whether or not they have, you know, sophisticated technology, AI technology. I, mean, I, would, I would say that like companies today, they, they did carve out like AI budget in the past year. Mm. And like, they were buying tools just for the sake of like testing out, you know, what was possible with AI. And I think that that's going to go away and you're right. Yeah. It's going to like fall back into existing tools. And I think this is where like, you know, a lot of AI tools, they kind of lean on the chat heuristic as mm. a user interface, which yeah. like, that's because ChatGPT took off, but like chat's actually a really bad UX experience around something that has, you know, in most cases, like an actual specialized use case. And so, cause you can do anything with it, but nobody actually knows what they want to do with it. Like Jason was saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From a whiplash perspective and like a fatigue perspective too. I just think product marketers are probably like enough of just forcing me to market AI because we feel like I need to, <laughs> like, I think product marketers are probably like, would be happy to have something other than AI to talk about for a while. All right. You're up next now, Jason, kind of <laughs> going into this messaging. It's perfect timing. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go with that one. So I, I was going to, there's another one too, but I'll, I'll talk about that a bit later. But I think that one thing, one trend for the new year, and I think you're seeing it a lot on LinkedIn as it is now anyways, but I think that product marketers, rightfully so, and I'm glad to see more of it, is a, a focus on message clarity, like clear, easy to understand specific messaging versus kind of like high level value benefit type marketing and messaging that we've seen before. So, you know, I think it could just be that I'm in the, like the LinkedIn product marketing eco, like echo chamber where all we hear about is, you know, from folks like Anthony and, and Rob and everyone talking about just like clear positioning and messaging. But I do think that there's a lot of product marketers who've wanted to, to do this type of marketing and have wanted to be, clear and focused versus listening to a founder who may think that they need to talk about like vision and, and what you'd seen in investor deck. So I think that, you know, I think product marketers now are having examples and are having more things to back up actually going to their leadership team and to talk about this approach more. So I do think you're going to start to see more and more of it. And you're going to start to see that, you know, continue to be a theme you see uh, in people's marketing, at least I hope so. Um, and I also think like, you've see, obviously seen a lot of, com like, I think you'll see more companies start to you know, operate with like less VC funding, or you'll see more companies try to, you know, like more bootstrap companies. And in those cases, like, I think that founding teams and executives are less focused on investor messaging and like pitch deck to that type of group where they need to be all about the vision and all about long-term. And they're going to start thinking more about like, how do we sell what we have today? So I think that that's something we'll see. Yeah. Um, LinkedIn influencer echo chamber. Um, I do, <laughs> I do see that everywhere. I agree. I think, I hope that's, that's true for the most part. Yeah. I think going back to like actually messaging and marketing product and usability, like use cases and less like super high level fluffy, you know, outcome based messaging. But I will say the one exception is I, I think that as you move up market into enterprise sales cycles and, and very sophisticated, like multi plat multi-product platform sales processes that it, it's a little bit more nuanced. Um, but I do think for the most part, majority of companies and majority of products would benefit from 
more clear product-based messaging. Mm -hmm. and, and I agree that just based on how much you're seeing this discussed, that inevitably it's going to come true. People are going to start moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, Anthony cranks out a boatload of content <laughs> and uh, I, I like 100% agree with the, his whole framework around like capability, you know, and really tapping into what's the thing that you like the, the capability that your product unlocks for people. And I think that that's an area that like I've been banging a drum on in past product marketing roles for years. And I think the, the, Nuance to your point though, Devin, I, I do agree that there is nuance on this. And like, I have this, I literally just had this debate right before this podcast recording with my PMM on our team. And, you know, like there is a place and a time for more kind of aspirational vision based messaging. And like, it does tend to fall when you're kind of competing in newer categories where you actually need to like break existing frame of reference. So I do think there's like a, there's middle grounds and, you know, not, it's not going to apply to everybody, but I do think that like for the vast majority of companies that are usually like single product competing in an existing category, it's super important to just tap into like those specific product capabilities that your product unlocks um, as opposed to, you know, like I, I hate any website that's like grow revenue. <laughs> and I think Anthony's always poking at that too. Yeah. yeah. We've, all been, hilarious. we've all had to write yeah. it on a homepage at some point. And, and I, I, I get your point too, about there's, there's nuance to it and there's a time and a place per, potentially for talking more about like high level, like outcome, longer term benefits and vision. But I think for the day-to-day -day product marketing work that you're doing, which is, you know, you're probably working on a launch, you're probably working on messaging for your website, you know, content that's more bottom of the funnel, it should be like, it should be focused on what are you selling today? Who are you selling it to? What do they care about? Um, yeah. Yeah. I will also say it's a pendulum. Like 10 years ago, I don't think this like value-based messaging, I remember when that was a trend. I remember I was a product mm -hmm. marketer at this company, Tremor Video, and we had this like sales advisory group come through and put us through this like messaging course. And I remember it was all about like, yeah, the value-based outcome messaging. You don't talk about product details at all. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Like I used to just market the product, like, you know, very specific feature messaging. And it was such a new thing. And I just think the pendulum swung too far and now it's coming back. Yeah. And it's just, it's only, it's only natural. Yeah. So, all right, my turn again, I'm going to be uh, digging into, I hope maybe not a, a touchy subject, but salaries. So I noticed in the latest salary report from PMA that the average salary, I don't know if it's across the board. I should have the data on hand. I don't. I think it's product marketing manager level in, in North America, but it declined um, from last year. First time we saw a salary decline now. And I'm, you know, as a running a consulting company, there's like pricing impacts to our services. Also, we're doing hiring across the US. So I've, I've been seeing this for a little while now. I believe that um, we are still going to see a decline actually in, in salaries. I think we saw this just absolutely absurd explosion and expectations around compensation for product marketing starting in 2021, really. And similar to this pendulum movement, like I think it's only natural to come back down a bit. Product marketing has always been exceptionally expensive compared to any other marketing role. And more than product managers, I think even now nowadays. So I think it's, it's somewhat natural. Um, but I think that that breaks what a lot of 
expectations are right now because people are expecting all these layoffs happened. Um, hiring's going to be picking back up probably in 2024, maybe 2025. And when hiring picks back up, there's going to be fierce competition again. I do think there's going to be fierce competition, but there's so many people in market and companies are, you know, not infused with as much cash as they were. And I think we're coming coming back down to reality a little bit. But th- that's probably true of all roles, right? Like it's, is that yeah. necessarily product marketing specific? Uh, good question. Uh, I can only speak to product marketing. That's the only role I've been hiring for yeah. and really been been thinking through. You're, you're probably right. I'm sure it is probably across many roles. I wonder, uh, I'm curious. So is it focused on a particular uh, like level of product marketing? Are you seeing it across like everything from VP right down to PMM? So I think what manager. I was looking at in terms of the data from PMA, I think it's product marketing manager level. So like mid-level product yeah. marketers. I, I don't know if it's true through every level. Um, but I, I believe it'll be through every level. Yeah, that's interesting. I can see some of that. I mean, I, I feel like part of it's all like, especially when you're talking about like kind of the mid and junior level, like a lot of that's also due to the the role that people ask, that companies ask those mid and junior level product marketers to fulfill, right? Like they're basically treating them as content marketers instead of treating them as real product marketers. And, you know, when your role is like much less strategic like that, and you are just kind of cranking out content, like mm-hmm. you end up in a, in a lower value position where your salary does get kind of artificially depressed. And so I think some of it's also just like the continuation of companies still misunderstanding product marketing on the whole and still kind of applying the wrong rubrics to measurement. On it. Mm. Yeah. I wonder if you're seeing in companies too, like, with layoffs, like, is it the higher paid roles that are being laid off and they're sticking with more of like the junior PMMs that can do just as, you know, that they hope can do just as much work for much less pay, but it is a, uh, it's an interesting one. Like I kind of makes me think about like, obviously I think a lot about like founding product marketers. So like companies that are hiring their first product marketer and just have like one solo product marketer in the seat. And it's interesting to see the range of, you know, some companies are looking for people with a lot of experience and they're bringing them on as a, either a senior PMM or a director, but you have some who are looking for their first product marketer and they're still only looking for someone who maybe passed like an associate level, right? Like they're looking for people who are junior and it's probably because they can't afford, they might give them the product marketing manager title as like a way to be able to entice them because they can pay less, but then they're getting all the same responsibilities, <laughs> Which is interesting to see like that founding PMN position, it can like really range from someone who has a lot of experience down to someone who has very little. It's it's interesting. But I wonder maybe if that's contributing to it at all. Yeah, the, the layoff point is interesting. Right? You definitely see like, you know, when you just look at how that data is averaged out, you know, like companies probably laying off like the within an, any given band of product marketers that they're looking at, they're probably laying off their more expensive product marketers within that band. And so that like draws the whole average down because the people who are still there are the ones who are like a little bit more junior, less expensive within that band. Yeah. I actually, I don't know if this is just anecdotal and we have, you know, obviously, you know, I have my own echo chamber because we're working with companies that are in, investing fairly heavily in product marketing by virtue of bringing us on and hiring product marketing maybe a different sort of company that, um, you know, we're looking at, but I've seen so many clients over the last two quarters and moving into this year as we're part of their planning discussions, hiring for senior people. And that's VPs, senior directors, directors, Mm -hmm. um, 
I would say almost 50% of our clients are hiring at that level right now, which I thought was sort That's of surprising. Yeah. Does that seem higher than usual? I, I it's it, to well, I can say that there are companies that I'm talking about that I think should be hiring PMM, senior PMM level. <laughs> and for whatever reason, they're committing toward um, a leader mm-hmm. prior to having some of these like uh, doer roles in place. Um, and some of these people, they don't even have the expectation to hire that, that mid-level, right? So to your point, it's almost, it's like a founder PMM type approach, even though these are not true founder PMMs because um, there is some support and we're there, but right. you know, there are these VP director roles going out where they're actually doing some IC work. All right, let's yeah. move on. Derek, um, moving to you. Yeah. So, I mean, this probably is a little bit related to the salary bit, but like I, I am definitely seeing, I saw a lot of this in 2023 and I feel like I'm, we're going to see more of it in 2024, which is, you know, like you're seeing a lot of like both PMMs and PMs, you know, kind of two sides of the same coin. Like you're seeing all of them leave the role altogether and you know, the other, they're moving out on their own. And like, I mean, Jason, you've done this, like now you're, now you're off starting your own thing. And I did this obviously myself as well. And, you know, I think you're seeing, a lot of people who, you know, have been under the strain of being product marketers and in many cases like solo product marketers of these companies for extended periods of time. And, you know, they're getting burnt out because the role is so taxing when you are so under-resourced and when you are so, when you have such a huge scope of responsibility as, you know, like a founding product marketer typically does. And I think, you know, a lot of people are realizing that, you know, the skills that they have are, are pretty directly applicable to going out and starting their own businesses. And so you're seeing a lot of people break out into, you know, freelancers or fractional product marketers or, you know, even starting companies. And so, yeah. um, I think you're going to see that continue this year. Yeah. I definitely think just the being in that space of being, you know, when I left and started doing my own thing, I was doing like product marketing consultant, a bit of fractional work. And it could, again, it could just be the whole thing when you, you know, once you buy a blue car, all you see is blue cars, but it, it was, I just started to see so many product marketers doing the same thing. Um, product managers too, but I guess like most of what I see is product marketers, but like you go to a PMA event and there's so many people now on their name tag have like consultant or, or whatever. Right. Um, and it's cool because I think that there is an, like, I think there's a need for that now. Like one of the things that I was like, actually one of the trends I was going to talk about was I think you'll see more companies, more founding PMMs having to sit in that seat for longer where they're the only one, like, I don't know, a lot of times you get hired as that first PMM and, you know, within six months, you're able to bring on someone new. That's kind of like part of the role. It's like, oh, you bring on someone new quickly. I think they're going to be hanging on to just the solo PMM for a lot longer, which I think opens it up where, you know, you leave your, a lot of people who leave their company to do consulting or what have you. A lot of times one of the first customers they pick up is the company they just left, just doing a little bit of like part-time work that they were doing previously. So I do think that a lot of like, the good thing about these freelancers, especially the ones that are focusing on niche things like homepage messaging or people who are doing like bottom of funnel content or trying to think of different ones, but people who are like doing these niche services, it's really great because they can walk into a company that might only have one product marketer and just be like, okay, well, I can cover that thing for you. So I think there is like a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I, so I have a couple of different things. So Exodus from, from, from product marketing, I think there are a lot of different 
avenues to to move into different different fields. One of those is going out on your own, doing consulting site freelance work. Um, I think that that's at its peak, frankly. To your point, Jason, you go to these events, half the room is a, a consultant. And I think a lot of it is due to layoffs. I mean, you're having 50% of companies yeah. go through rifts, maybe, I mean, more than 50%. Um, but so many product marketers have been a part of layoffs and rifts ongoing for the last year and a half. I, you know, I think there are certainly avenues for people to be successful and we're seeing that. Um, but I do think that the vast majority of these folks are going to find that having a full-time uh, W2 role is going to be a more stable, <laughs> stable experience. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I think uh, Shirin Shaheen, who's a, a friend of mine, consultant. And when I left to start Fluvio, she was the kind of the only person who I'd seen kind of doing consulting work. And I remember I connected with her and I was like, I'm leaving Amazon. This is kind of what I'm thinking. What has your experience been? And I've noticed she's been writing about this. She's like, this is not easy. Like people, you know, you're seeing a lot of posts about like going off and, and, you know, being a, a freelance consultant and finding success. Like here's my experience. And she's been doing it for like five years. She's like, it's, if you're trying to leave because you think it's going to be an easier experience than being in house, like you are mistaken. It is like you're, you're hunting and selling all the time. You're, you're criticized at a, at a much harsher degree than, than an in-house person. And it's just a very, very tough, tough model. So I think that we're going to see that peak or having already peaked. Um, but I also understand that there's a significant burnout happening. So I don't know where these people are going to go, but I do think that that's probably something that's going to continue to happen. People are going to be burnt. Yeah. I wonder if it's, you know, a lot of the freelancers and stuff, is it a result of burnout is it, or is it a result more of the layoff where they're not left with a choice? And this is like the only thing they could do. I'm sure there's a bit of both. Both. For me, like, yeah, I both. Yeah. I, I know like, yeah, even people who are just not necessarily even burnt out, but just like, I just want a change of lifestyle where it's, I don't want to work the normal nine to, because I do feel like trying to break out of the normal nine to five is something that's becoming more popular, but but yeah, I think you'll see some, like as the job market starts to improve and a lot of these people start to find roles, you know, the the idea of being a consultant or a freelancer, you'll see a lot of them move away. But I do think the I think there is an opportunity for for freelancers. Um, if you can market yourself well and if you, you do great work, like I, I think there'll be some that stick around and do a good job of it. But yeah, so I Definitely. do think something does have to give with so many of them. You For know? sure. I, there's yeah. an ecosystem being built and it's something that I basically bet my company on, frankly. And I'm happy right. to see that this ecosystem is being built, but it is, uh, it's going to be for the certain type of person. It's not, it's not, it's not a route that like yeah. most, most folks can take success successfully, uh, is my opinion on it, but we will, we will Agreed. see. Um, all right, Jason, back to you. Yeah. So so I had just kind of mentioned that one about solo PMMs in the seat for longer. So I think I'll go with a buyer enablement. So I think that you're going to see a lot of product marketers focused, focusing more on buyer enablement. So just helping buyers get through more of the sales process, more of the evaluation process without having to talk to sales. So I think that like, I so I was, uh, I'm an advisor for Novatic, but they were doing a report now and they were saying that they did a study and they looked at 5,000 landing pages and looking, and this isn't just like across Nevada customers, but they were looking for the, how often something like Tor 
that term tour would show up in a CTA on a page. And from 2000, um, 2022 to 2023, it like doubled. And I think it's just small data point, but it's, it's like, to me, I think that signals more companies are starting to kind of put their product forward a bit more and starting to like show people what their product is, what it can do, allowing people to kind of get behind the wheel earlier on in the process. I think you'll see more people do that sort of thing. I do think you'll see more people being more transparent with things like pricing, but I think product marketers are a big part of that. So I think the product marketers, yes, focused on sales enablement and buyer enablement is part of that. But I do think that, or at least I hope, buyer enablement becomes more of like a common term used by product marketers. I think that, you know, I think I saw one of your points too about like, uh, you know, focusing more on ACV and focusing more on like, you know, uh, retention and things like that. I think it goes along with that. So I think like, um, but yeah, I think that's something we'll start to see more of. I agree. I mean, I think in a world where you have, you know, companies in general buying fewer things and, you know, success becomes drastically more important for those companies. And so that's a combination of like pre-sale helping buyers understand exactly what they're buying, understand how, what the process is going to be like to go from like day zero to, you know, their post-launch successful success criteria. And so I think you're, you're definitely going to see a lot more focus from product marketing teams on that part of the funnel. Um, Especially since like, I've, I've definitely seen some stats recently where like, Something like the the I think it was G two that was publishing this, and like obviously they're they're biased, but you know they're they were saying that something like the amount of research that's done prior to a sales conversation over the last like five years has like ten x from what it was before, and yeah. you know now at this point like eighty five percent of all buying decision making is being done before a sales conversation ever happens. And the sales conversation is basically just, you know, a transaction and it's just coming in and, you know, having the sales team usher you through the actual buying itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this ties into the product led growth kind of trend, right? Yeah. Which I'm curious, like I know that with, you know, with OpenView kind of shutting down, there was a lot of people being like, oh, that kind of signals the end of PLG or a downturn in PLG. Like, do you believe that at all? Like, what's your take on PLG? Uh, just curious. Derek, you're the guy to speak on. <laughs> we've, done, we've done all of the above. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm like, long term, I'm very much a believer in PLG. I think that the, the challenge with PLG is that, you know, most companies, like, they're not actually equipped to do PLG well. They haven't, like, invested in their onboarding enough and like, that's a very serious investment to get right because of the buyer enablement challenges. Like you have to do all of that without having a human ever interact with people. Um, and I think, you know, like the, the real challenge is like, you need that built into your company's DNA. Like, and most companies do not have that built into their DNA because they started, you know, even from the earliest days with founders selling the product and, they never had to force themselves to figure out how to get people to, you know, a real aha moment without them helping to handhold them through that process. And like, you know, like you mentioned kind of interactive demos, like we've, we've experimented with interactive demos at Ignition and, you know, what we've seen in the data is that people like never really engaged enough with the interactive demo to get to the moments that we wanted them to, like, we were much better off just like shoving them straight into the product and having them, you know, get successful through the product experience itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the same time, like we see drastically higher deal sizes when we have a sale, when we have a sales process involved, we have, we see higher close rates when we have a sales process involved. So 
I think like it's there's no it's not as black and white as everybody likes to paint it as. Like everybody likes to say, okay, like PLG is the answer or you know sales led growth is the answer. But I think it's my view is that the best companies are built on a bit of a hybrid model, and you have to like build the DNA to do each of those well. But it's different for every company, and it all depends on like the level of complexity of your product and how quickly you can get people into value. Yeah, it's a nice option to have, but it's not going to re- replace like existing sales-led motions. Um, yeah. That's my belief on it. Um, cool. Sense. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump into my last one. So now let's just focus on one each remaining due to time. I know we had a couple. Pick your favorite. So I will go into a similar topic. You alluded to the fact, Jason, that you you had read this. So I think product marketing is going to put much more emphasis on supporting increasing ACV and focusing on renewals and upsells. Um, I think we saw a little bit of that in 2023, but we're going to see more of that in the year or two ahead. And as to why, I think last year was a year where companies dropped the barrier to entry to to get a customer, right? They were lowering prices. They were making exceptions. They were dropping seat numbers. They were doing everything they they could to bring on new customers and drive growth in an environment that was not suitable for that. And so now you're sitting with a customer base that maybe has signed on at a lower ACV. They're only using one product or, you know, they're just, um, they're at a place where you need to be driving growth from your existing customer base now. So I think in sort of the mission to resurrect growth, PMMs are going to be focusing on net revenue retention, not just retaining customers, but how do you actually get more value from the customer base you have now? Um, And that will be a huge emphasis. So projects that I think product marketers will will focus on in the upcoming year, I would say doing really in-depth sort of like customer journey analysis, um, packaging and pricing work, um, pricing optimization work, and then installing cross-sell motions, and maybe even pulling in sales folks that have previously only focused on bringing in new customers, having motions and personnel focused on selling to existing customers. Um, I think that's going to be super common in the year ahead. Yeah, I think this is a good thing for product marketers too. It's like, I mean, I think product marketing in many companies, like they've done a poor job of actually being accountable to revenue and like being able to tie themselves to metrics that the company cares about as opposed to, you know, like kind of talking about the squishy positioning messaging theory stuff. And I think, you know, like product marketers getting closer to activation, getting closer to retention, getting closer to cross-sell and upsell allows them to be a stickier and more influential organization within the company too. And so, you know, I, I think it's more important for the companies to invest in that stuff for all the reasons that you mentioned, but it's also more important. It's important for product marketers, even if their company is not pushing them to invest in that stuff for product marketers to be trying to tie themselves to it as closely as possible. Like every time I go into a new company as a product marketer, the first thing that I want to own is I want to own onboarding and I want to own cross-sell. And I go in there and I'm like, look, I don't care about the rest of the positioning, messaging, et cetera stuff right now. I want to get ultra close to how do we expand customers that have come in and signed up. I think that's great. I think that I'd, I'd agree with you for sure. Like I think product marketing teams, a, a lot of the focus is on new business. You know, and the companies that I've been, you know what I mean? Like it's the focus so much is on how do you support new business? How do you support new deals? Like, and even when you look at sales teams and how they're kind of structured today, so much of it in most companies, but at least I've worked at it, it's so much focused on new business. 
Um, so I do think that if if the revenue team and if the sales team can can also put a significant focus and if like the leadership team in the company puts a high importance on on retention and on expansion and cross sell and things like that, that I do think product marketing will be will naturally be brought in to support that. But at least from what a lot of I, what I've seen, I think product marketers like existing customers and customer marketing is a lot of times an afterthought. Like I think that it's I hope that in the new year, like you do see uh, more product marketers put time to it. But I I often see that it's one of those things where they're like it's like a thing that's on the back burner, something that they they either do as like a side project. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it might be different. Now, I haven't worked a ton in PLG companies. So I think in a company where, you know, the it's all about you bring customers in, you want to activate them and get them to, to up, like upgrade and things like that. I could see a product marketer being more involved in the customer journey and more involved in getting them to increase adoption and, and all that. But, but yeah. I hope, but how do you, how do you think a company does that? Like, do you think they need to bring on a product marketer focused on that? Do you think a product marketer kind of shifts their focus? Like what? Yeah. I think, I think product marketers are going to shift their focus. So you were saying basically this has been a secondary element on, you know, a product marketer's plate. I agree. And what I, what I'm saying is I think that's going to shift this year. Yeah. I think product marketing is going to pivot into that being a primary focus and the best product marketing teams, I think are going to you know, shift internally. Yeah. I think like, you know, historically, like what I've done when I've built my own teams is, you know, I typically will bring in product marketers who are, you know, product specific and they're really focused on more of the top of funnel enablement, positioning, messaging, pricing, packaging, core kind of product marketing work. But then you are going to have dedicated product marketers who are focusing and, or it'll be an existing product marketer who kind of shifts a significant portion of their fun- of their function. Um, yeah towards focusing on purely like upsell, cross-sell activation. It doesn't look like 100% like what you would normally define as a pure play like product marketing role. It's kind of a hybrid between product marketing and growth. But right. I think it's it's going to be much more common. All right, yeah. Derek, last trend for you. Yeah, so my last trend, I think you, were, you had this in your notes as well, is I think you're just seeing drastically more convergence. I mean, this also touches on what we were just talking about. You're, you're going to see much more convergence between product and product marketing teams. And like this has been, you know, obviously a hot button topic since the whole Brian Chesky, like Airbnb move to turning PMs into product marketers. Um, and I think everybody's got a ton of thoughts on that. I like, you know, I think it's the conversation has lost nuance on it and people are kind of now saying, oh, it's all like, it's not going to turn into one role. And I agree, it's not going to turn into one role, but you're going to see these functions converge much, much more. And you're not going to see the silos that they're operating in today. And like, obviously this is why we built Ignition is to help kind of bring product teams closer to their product marketing teams. But I do believe that that is fundamentally a trend in how companies are going to operate because the things that they build need to be much more informed by market insight and the things that they have built also need to be much more tightly tied to distribution because so many companies have been burned over the last five to 10 years building a bunch of stuff that nobody wanted and or like building that stuff and having it poorly introduced to customers and those things just flopping and not being successful. And so I think you're going to see much, much more tight alignment between product and product marketing teams and the roles are going to like have much more overlap in terms of the the scope of responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. You're weaving in your ignition pitch. Uh, lovely. <laughs> Always. 
Always. There's no title change. Do you think that the one title will, will, will kind of, I don't know, will win out over the other, or do you think it's just, doesn't really matter. And it, I mean, but, I, I love the one title structure. Like in, in my early career, I was a you know brand manager and like our role was a combination of product management and product marketing. And so I think it works really well when done effectively. I think it's too big of a shift for most companies to actually do. So I don't think that there's going to be like one role that ends up the the kind of like dominant role within these companies. It's just going to be that the the partnership between them gets much, much closer. And so I think you're still going to have like product marketers and you have product managers and they're still kind of going to do a lot of the same stuff. It's just that the expectation is that, you know, product managers are going to be much more distribution minded and product marketers are going to be much more product minded than they are yeah. today. Yeah, I, yeah. I think um, that there's just like a paradigm shift where product marketing used to used to see a lot of great product marketers move into product management. And I actually think the opposite is going to happen now. That's, that's the way I'm thinking about this. It's like, you're going to see that product marketing is more valued. I was talking about salaries. I think salaries now are competitive, if not, if not higher for PMMs than, than product managers. So I, I think yeah. you're going to start to see more product managers move into, I mean, that could be anecdotal, but moving from product management into product marketing. And I think part of this is like with new tools and like with engineers who are not even doing the hard coding as much anymore. Like there's, there's actually a lot of, I think, tension going to occur with engineering managers and product managers nowadays, like great engineers are able to do product management as well. So I think that might be a driver as well. Yeah. That's interesting. I know when I first heard it, the only thing that came to mind for me was like one role. That sounds like a lot of work. Like I just couldn't see a world where product manager and a product marketer would combine into one role. And now I understand that if they're saying that more can be done by the engineer and then, you know, product marketer could take on some of that, that product management kind of work. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like, cause today I know working with product marketers, it's like one of the big challenges all the time is having that alignment with product, getting involved earlier in the life cycle, like in the launch stage and just being part of like helping influence the roadmap, not just being lobbed over features and having to launch them. And I wonder if, if the combination of the two solves that problem, or if it means that it's just now your problem becomes with engineering, <laughs> this is the new one who you now have a problem with. I'm just curious what you guys think, but yeah, I like I personally yeah, I being a product manager and a product marketer. Yeah. I, I do think there's going to be a little bit more tension with engineering and product managers, but well, I guess time will tell. Um, yeah. Let's move on to the last yeah. one, Jason. You're, All right. You're going to close so yeah, question. last one. This one, I guess, would be more thinking in particular about, you know, when you're a product marketer working on product launches or when you're working on, you know, campaigns or anything like that. I think I think that influencers could, especially for B2B SaaS companies, I think you're going to see influencer marketing becoming probably more of a thing that we can start to use um, in our marketing. And I think that obviously, like, the creator economy is exploding. And I, I think you obviously see a ton of influencer marketing in B2C. But I think B2B... And LinkedIn, especially, like we've seen, you know, we've seen so many more people pop up on LinkedIn. It's starting to become a platform where people are doing more influencer type marketing. I think that now's a good time to start working with influencers because I think that it's relatively new, but there are many out there who are getting pretty like large followings and, and um, in particular niches within like B2B SaaS. And I think that, yeah, in 2024, I think it's a good opportunity for a lot of SaaS companies to probably try to experiment with that and not have to pay too much for it. 
Yeah, I, I, think I agree. I mean, I, like we've done some influencer stuff with Ignition and, you know, I think it's been successful and, you know, by and large, like I'm very much a believer that, you know, having somebody else like whisper your story from the top of a mountain is drastically more effective than you standing on top of it, yelling at the top of your lungs. And, you know, I think, yeah. um, you know, people look for social credibility in the things that they're buying and, you know, like people, you know, for better or worse, like tend to be kind of lemmings and they'll just do whatever somebody else like that's an expert tells them to do. And so I think, um, you know, influencers are one of the best possible ways for B2B SaaS companies to be able to tap into, you know, the expertise that exists in their niche and translate that into like customer interest. So I, I totally agree. Well, there's only one influencer on this podcast and it's Jason. Devin's <laughs> <laughs> not salty at all I, about this. <laughs> I will always bring that back, but I actually think this one's super, super interesting. And I didn't know you've done that work. So who, like, who's doing this today? Who's making money as a, as a B2B SaaS influencer? And how does that, how does that, how do you envision this working? So I think that, um, well, you see it, like there are people who are, who are out there doing it. Like, say, for example, you look at something like, uh, there's a new company called Passion Fruit, but like they're just a, a, they work with influencers across like B2C and B2B and all that. But they they basically created a platform where you can stand up a almost like a little landing page and and they you can promote basically your rate card for your own whether it's a newsletter that you're selling ad space in, whether it's like LinkedIn posts that you want to charge people for, whether it's like it's all those things. You basically put your rate card up there and and it's a platform where you can manage all the payments and. Versus doing it all in a spreadsheet. So it makes it easier. And also they help uh, brands discover influencers. But you're starting to see more B2B ones pop up there. Like you're seeing people in, you know, a lot of times I think now what you see is companies will invite people onto like an advisory program or something like that. And, and you know, oh. it, it's not to say those are, are necessarily paid things, but it's something where it's it's a, a thing where part of the the expectation is like, hey, like if they're having a launch, like it's something you want to help support. And so I think that- yeah. There are, um, you're starting to see, it's very like not well-defined, I think at this point. And I do think that as you start to, like I saw someone the other day, um, geez, I forget who it was, but just kind of putting a call out there being like, these are some of the brands I like, you know, in 2024, I'm looking to, you know, if any of you are interested in doing a type of like brand work with me, like I'm an influencer on LinkedIn and -and so-and-so like, let me know. Like, I think you'll start to see more of that. Um, but yeah, Derek, like you've, you've done some work like that already. So you must like, yeah. How did you find them? Like, how did you do it? I mean, a lot of it like came just kind of through osmosis as, you know, like a couple of customers and prospects that we talked to ended up like going out and becoming influencers themselves. And so then we, you know, like partnered with them to kind of help support their influencer journey. And like, it was, you know, productive partnership for us. So we were able to like, you know, turn it into a, an acquisition channel as well. Um, we've also found some people where, you know, they've inbounded to us. So, you know, we, we haven't really had to like work super hard to find influencers because product marketing, the product marketing influencer space is pretty small, same with product management influencer space. So we kind of know who the right people to go to are. There's varying degrees of like how well they've kind of operationalized what their kind of offering is. And so, you know, for example, like we sponsored like Lenny's podcast in yeah, I was gonna the bring that management up. space and like, yeah. that was a very well-defined, well-oiled machine. I mean, he's it's obviously got one of the biggest like newsletters out on Substack, but um, very well-oiled machine, clearly defined like pricing packages for what a sponsorship looks like. It felt a little bit more commercial versus, yeah. you know, we've done like partnerships with like Jess, you know, from Unbounce yeah. where 
you know, she like, it was much more organic. She's just a fan of the platform. She's used it. She just likes what we do. And she, you know, created a much more kind of like personalized program for us where she actually, we're actually doing like mini courses with her. She like did a review of our product. And so, you know, it's like, it, it, it varies depending on the influencer. And I think, you know, it's important for brands to come in with some degree of like their objective and like what the best possible, like asset that comes out of it looks like. Um, and I think, you know, being authentic to that influencer ends up being the thing that drives how effective it is. And I, I think that that's kind of the opportunity too, where Jess has a great following, like a lot of product marketers listen to what she says. And because it's not really well-defined, like you could come in there and you could start to, you could build a program that, that worked for you. And you probably didn't, you know, it's not like it's a massive, massive ad spend for you. And that's my just assumption. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it, I would imagine it's, you're probably, you're both probably getting some good at it because Jess is starting to, to try to just explore like, Hey, what, what could a program that I offer people look like? And then at the same mm -hmm. time, you are like, Hey, well, we're going to take a bet on you. We don't, you, the first time you've ever done this. So you might get a yeah. lot out of it probably, you know, more than you might do two years ago, two years from now, when a lot of these people have like full Lenny type structures that are a bit more rigid. Yeah, yeah. I would parse out the two. I mean, Lenny's got like a, a, a media business. I mean, he has a podcast right. that probably has hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Like too. Good example. Yeah. 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 I mean, those are more traditional. I mean, I think a podcast now are a pretty staple medium for advertising now. So it's a part of everyone's mix, um, B2B more so probably than B2C. But, and then there's the, the more like micro up and coming influencers and using LinkedIn. That's interesting. I, I, I agree. I, I guess I haven't really thought about it deeply, but I could totally see that happening. And I'd be interested to see if there's like company, like agencies built on B2B LinkedIn influencer agency yeah. where you go to them and they take whatever cut. It's a good, good business opportunity there, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, we're at time. Uh, we've each gone through three predictions. Um, love having you guys on. Thanks for joining me. And we'll have to, to do this yeah, again. Fun. Yeah. Thanks yeah, guys. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap on this episode of Embracing Erosion. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, if you have any feedback or comments or would like to have certain guests on the show, please feel free to reach out to me directly. My email is devin at fluviomarketing.com. And if you want to acquire additional product marketing resources, please do visit fluviomarketing.com slash resources. Until next time.